About eight or ten years ago, I started needing these. <laughs> now, I, I usually only wear them when I'm driving. And, uh, and so sometimes when I'm driving, it gets bright, right? These do not transition, right? Because that would be weird. All right, some of you all have transition lenses, I'm sorry. So instead of being weird, I put these on, like that. Now, when you're driving, you're, you're facing this way, so you think everybody else in the car isn't noticing that you've put on some extra lenses. And then a couple of years after I started doing this, I realized that they were aware and they were making fun of me. And they were talking about it with different people. Now, if I had only known that this was bothering them, then I would have shown up at all their events like this. <clears throat> Lenses. We look at the world, sometimes we see things a little more clearly. When we're looking in a distance from some high height, we can see farther than we did yesterday. There are times in life when, when we get to see at the distance, and there are times when, when we don't, when, when things are just they're kind of dim. You know, some years ago, when I was a college student, Kurt Vonnegut, famous author, came and spoke at our college. And uh, one of the things that he said was uh, that you need to start protecting yourself from disappointment by lowering your expectations. I just couldn't, I couldn't believe that he was saying this. He was talking about that life is like this, and, and, and the goal is to get life like this, which looked sort of like that line in the operating room that you don't want to see, you know? <laughs> and, and it made me think that he was advocating that we just wear these around all the time. And there are times when you feel like you need these. Life is so bright, you can't take it all in. But... When you see at, from the height, you, can, you look to the, the far horizon of wonder. There are times when we, we feel like we can see to the far horizon of wonder. But those times in the valley are important too. Times when we see things close up. A lot of times we want to hasten our way through that and not slow down to see what is God doing, what is he showing us in the valley. But instead, so many of us, we become hardened to the life's ebbs and flows, to life's crests and valleys. And we lower our expectations or we protect ourselves from having them. And we begin to sort of flatline in our expectations so that we don't experience the height and the valley anymore. That old eagle song, you know, you're losing all your highs and lows. What we're about to read is a passage that is a little racy, right? It's the Song of Solomon. Is he really going to read from the Song of Solomon this morning? Absolutely. I'm going to leave some of the racier parts for you to read on your own. But it's looking through the lens of passion, not just the passion of a woman for a man or a man for a woman, but being able to stand at the height 
not to protect ourselves from expectations, not, not to lose all our highs and lows, but to be able to recognize that passion is a way of seeing the world of wonder. We can't stop looking through the lens of passion because we begin to see the distant horizon of wonder. When we cultivate passion, there's a way to cultivate it. But first, I want you to savor it. I want you to drink it in. What does it look like to have passion? Just in this instance, you know, not for your job or not for... But, and, and I want you to be thinking about that, how you apply it. But, but while we read, of course, it's going to be focused on a, on a, on a betrothed, on, on a spouse, uh, the, the anticipation of, of nuptials, of, of, of wedding days, wedding bells. But to apply then the lens of passion to many different areas of your life, how do we cultivate passion? Let's take a look at the Word of God, selected verses from the Song of Solomon. As an, ap- as an apple tree among the trees of the forest, so is my beloved among young men. With great delight I sat in his shadow, and his fruit was sweet to my taste. He brought me to the banqueting house, and his banner over me was love. Sustain me with raisins, refresh me with apples, for I am sick with love. His left hand under my head, his right hand embraces me. I adjure you, O daughters of Jerusalem, by the gazelles or the does of the field, that you not stir up or awaken love until it pleases Down to verse 10 of chapter 2. My beloved speaks and says to me, Arise, my love, my beautiful one, and come away with me. For behold, the winter is past, and the rain is over and gone. The flowers appear on the earth. It's a season of song. A time of singing has come. And the voice of the turtle dove is heard in our land. Now verse 12 of chapter 4. A garden... Locked is my sister, my bride. as actual sister, but he's saying, I'm likening her to my, my dearest companion, my intimate friend, my bride. A spring locked. Now he's likening her to a garden. A fountain sealed. Your shoots are an orchard of pomegranates with all the choicest fruits. Henna with nard, nard and saffron. Calamus and cinnamon, with all trees of frankincense, myrrh and aloes, with all choice spices, a garden fountain, a well of living water and flowing streams from Lebanon. Awake, O north wind, and come, O south wind, blow upon my garden, let its spices flow. And now, verse 6 of chapter 8, set me as a seal upon your heart as a seal upon your arm, for love is as strong as death. Let's pray together. Holy God, would you bless us now through your word, not only to our minds to understand it, but to our hearts to believe it in our hands, to live it. For we pray in Jesus' name, amen.
Augustine said, people go abroad to wonder at the heights of mountains, at the huge waves of the sea, at the long courses of the rivers, at the vast compass of the ocean, at the circular motion of the stars, and they pass by themselves without wondering. Where is your wonder? Have you lost a sense of wonder? Have you lost your highs and lows? Passion is a gift of God. It's a gift of God. Something to be guided. Guided. How do we guide our passion so that we can see, continue to see this wondrous world, to see the majesty in the moments, even in the valleys and certainly at the heights? How do we cultivate passion so that we can see God's wonders? First, let's look at how not to do it. How do we, how do we miss God's wonders by disabusing passion, by applying passion in the wrong way, by letting passion go unguided? by allowing passion just to flow like a river without banks or burn like a fire without a fireplace. We can burn up passion. Unguided passion burns us up. It burns us out. I remember a number of years ago, I spent the coldest night of my life on top of Mount Lacan in the Smoky Mountains. And uh, we were looking desperately for fuel we were looking, we were in this lean-to, and it was uh, February, and it was negative 14. Uh, why were you up there? That's a good question. I was 21 years old. Maybe that's an answer. That's the only answer I have. I was 21 years old. And, you know, because we were in the lean-to and it was wintertime, all the people who were there ahead of us had taken all the dead wood that was around there, and, and there, so there was no fuel. It had all been burned up. You know, when passion burns wherever it will, then you can burn out the fuel of your life and you can begin to, to miss, you can begin to, to put on, to change our metaphor here, you can begin to just see everything through w without the lens of passion. You miss the heights and you're only seeing through the filter of negativity. You can begin to put on cynical lenses. You become dull to God's wonders. Verse 2, 7. Look at this again. I adjure you. I implore you. It's, it's like, so, so there are three different voices here. There's his voice and her voice of the couple. There's, there's also the voice of the crowd, uh, of, of the, um, really the bridesmaids, daughters of Jerusalem. And so this is where the, the the, the bride is speaking to the bridesmaids, and she's saying, I'm begging you, given what I have seen, what I've experienced, the complexity and the amazing wonder of love, I'm begging you, bridesmaids, do not awaken love until it so desires. In other words, he's, she's saying to the crowd, she's saying, Look, your time will come. Wait, be patient for it. Protect and, and cherish 
this gift of God, this passion, as something precious, something precious. It's not to rob us of experiences. It's to make sure that, that we apply our passion in a way that allows us to maximize our wonder throughout the whole course of life. You know, it's a little bit like this. Let me try a different way of saying this. You know, we've got strict rules about when you play Christmas music in the Philston household, okay? Now, you know, when they were young, they, they loved Christmas music so much that you would hear it all the time, and I, we would shut it down. And it, was like, it was sort of like we're being mean, like, no, it's, it's July. Do not sing that song. You can't sing that song. It's not Christmas, you know? And they're like, what, what's the matter with you, you know? And over the years, they began to understand, look, you have to keep Christmas music special. You, you play it during December. And because you hear so much of it during December, do you not? I mean, December's enough for Christmas music. By the end of, de of December, it's like, okay, we're done with Christmas music, right? What if you played it year-round? What if you played your favorite song? You've done this. You play your favorite song over and over and over and over and over again, and then it loses its dramatic effect. Passion is something to be guided and guarded because you can begin to develop a negative lens. You can begin to lose your sense of wonder, and you begin to see the world the way Kurt Vonnegut advocates, deadline, flatline, cynically. Did you know that uh, I, I heard this through our, our GLS, uh, a GLS speaker this week, that one out of five internet searches is for pornography. One out of five. It's, it's an addiction, and it's, it's, it's boys and girls, men and women, and it's a hit of dopamine. It's what researchers have figured out, that there's a certain dopamine hit that makes you, it, it sort of changes your brain chemistry and makes you uh, feel less anxious. And I think that's part of why, you know, the heightening anxiety of our culture uh, is driving people to the internet for quick fixes. You know, so, so you're not just clicking your mouse, you're rolling up your sleeve and you're tying a, uh, a rubber band around your, uh, your arm and you're injecting yourself so that there's a, a sense of euphoria, dopamine hit in your brain. What do you suppose happens to passion after click, after click, after click, and image after image after image? Say, this is Sunday morning, Tim. Are you talking about this mixed company? You're talking about this? Yes, we're talking about this. Because it's happening under your roof. It's happening all over the place. But it's also a great illustration for how we can dull the senses and miss the wonders. You think you're getting more, but you actually get diminishing returns. And you begin to dull your passion. You begin to dull your senses so you can no longer see towards the horizon of wonder. No wonder. Our age is so cynical. Let's take it in another direction since that made you feel very uncomfortable. <laughs> Maybe not uncomfortable enough. Another way that we lose and another uh, consequence of losing your passion is that you can become cynical towards creation itself. There are a couple different scientists that are brilliant. One is Richard Dawkins, an atheist. Another is Francis Collins, 
uh, who is a believer. Both brilliant. Uh, for, uh, Richard Dawkins is an antagonist towards Christians and towards the church. And he says this, Biology is a study of complex things that appear to have been designed for a purpose. I love that. He said it. He said it, but he's not seeing it. You see? Let me say it again. Do you see what he's saying? I, I want to say to you, I want to grab my lapel and I'm going to say, convince yourself. Not because I'm mad at him, but, I, but out of a sense of compassion. It's like, Dawkins, you're brilliant, but you're an idiot. You're knowledgeable, but you're not wise. You're seeing the parts of the world, but you're missing the wonder. Because you've reduced things down to its function. Equally, if not more brilliant, is Francis Collins. Who's he? He's, he's the guy who's in charge of mapping, mapping the human genome. That's a pretty smart guy, right? There's a scientific mind if, uh, of probably the greatest scientific mind and one of the greatest scientific uh, accomplishments of our lifetime, mapping the human genome. Francis Collins, he says this, the God of the Bible is also the God of the genome. God can be found in the cathedral or the laboratory. Why, why can we look at the same set of facts? Now, I know that people shame out there that are atheists and they say, you're just not smart if you believe. And I, I know that that narrative is out there. And it's, it's just totally defensive. Because brilliant people can look at the same set of facts and draw totally opposite conclusions. Why? They've lost their passion. They've lost their sense of wonder, and they've lowered their expectations, and they're looking at the world through lenses of cynicism. Don't you believe that the way you look at the facts influences the conclusions you draw? Of course it does. This is why, this is why the female voice says, do not arouse or awaken love until... It's fully blossomed until it's ready, until, until you're ready, until, until the time when its time has come. Don't just apply passion willy-nilly or you can lose your sense of wonder. So there's how not to address and cherish passion. It's to let it go like a river without banks, like a fire without a fireplace like Christmas music all year round. How then? How then do we guide passion and guard passion? How do we do that? Well, let's look at verse 4, 12 again. A garden locked is my sister, my bride. A spring locked, a fountain sealed. Your shoots are an orchid, an orchard of pomegranates with all choicest fruits, henna with nard, nard with saffron, calamus and cinnamon. You see what he's doing? He's noticing. He's cherishing. He's cataloging. He's, he's waxing poetic about the, 
the, the different things he's seeing because of his lenses of passion, looking at this woman and likening her to all, all the different features of, of, of his love for her, not just of her physical appearance, but his experience of her, who she is, her personality, the emotions that she stirs in him, all the whole of his relationship to her, he is, he's likening and he's, he's capturing in words. Did you know that, that it, let, let me give you an example uh, in, in another sort of uh, picture of this, that there are coffee tasters who can have cataloged 850 different aromas and, and tastes of coffee. 850. 850. Potato and earth and tobacco, cocoa, chocolate, caramel, tree bark, cedar, right? I mean, all these different subtleties that when, when you're... When you're Sipping your coffee, you know, are you, are you just sipping it so that you, you, are you just gulping it down so that you can get the, the caffeine in your body, you know, or are you savoring it? Are you, are you, are you enjoying it? Can, is there a, a pleasing aroma when, when it's, when that coffee beeps, does it just sort of trigger that thing that says, all right, maybe, maybe not everybody is a coffee addict the way I am in here. Okay. But is there a sense of appreciation for the wonders around us? 850 aromas? and tastes, do you see, begin to see the picture of the wonder that comes through seeing towards the horizon of wonder through the lens of passion for the things around us. You ever notice sometimes, maybe another example, you ever notice how some people might, uh, be, be, uh, might be talking, but, but you listen and you're overhearing a conversation and you realize that there's something going on here that that one person isn't getting. And to you, it's so obvious. She's saying this, or he's saying this, and, and, and they're, not, they're, they're not hearing each other. And it's so obvious to you, but because of the emotion of the moment or because of some assumptions that they bring, or maybe it's because they just are looking at the other person through these kinds of lenses, cynical lenses. They're missing what's really being said. Have you ever noticed that you're... Have you ever experienced that? Or maybe it's you. Maybe you've, you've, uh, you've, you've looked back on a conversation you, and you realize, I didn't really know what was going on in the moment. What I'm trying to do is paint a picture for you that there's always so much more going on in the moment than we can take in or appreciate. I've given you a couple of different examples. There's so much more than the sum of our parts going on moment to moment. And what, what you see Solomon doing here in these, you know, th they're different voices, and this is Solomon's voice speaking. He's saying he's, he's cherishing the moment, and he's looking towards this moment as though it captured all moments. Do you see what I'm getting at? He's saying there's so much more to this moment than I can express in words. It's a full moment that I would love to dwell in for an eternity. You see, that's the kind of life that we're destined for. That's on the horizon. Wonder, God's wonder. Have you lost your sense of passion? Let me, let me uh, 
push this a little farther by reading to you one of my favorite quotations by G.K. Chesterton in his book called Orthodoxy. It doesn't sound, it sounds like a dry book, right? It's not. It's an amazing book. Uh, somebody asked me if I ever read Chesterton's book, Orthodoxy, and, I, and my standard answer is I'm always reading it. I'm almost always reading it. I'm reading several different books, but I'm almost always reading Orthodoxy, and this is one of the this is one of the pas- pa- passages that explains how our, our lenses change and we lose a sense of passion and wonder. We like astonishing tales, right? Like sci-fi or like fairy tales. We like astonishing tales because they touch the nerve of the ancient instinct of astonishment or wonder, right? As I've been saying, they point us towards the horizon of wonder. This is proved by the fact that when we are very young children, we do not need fairy tales. We only need tales. Now follow this here. Mere life is interesting enough when you're young, right? When you're really young, mere life is interesting enough. A child of seven is excited by being told Tommy opened a door and saw a dragon, but a younger child, a child of three, is excited by being told that Tommy opened a door. (laughs) These tales say that apples were golden only to, listen to this, only to refresh the forgotten moment when we found that they were green or red. See, the fairy tale says they're golden, to, to touch that nerve in us when we, were, we, we found a great sense of wonder that they were, that's a red apple. Wow. I told you the story about the music truck when our kids were young, right? Do you remember the story I told about years ago about the music truck? And, uh, you, you know, the, the truck that drives around in your neighborhood and, and it plays music, right? And we told our kids, they were about three years old, yeah, that's the music truck, <laughs> right? Plays music, isn't that neat? Yeah, wave. And I remember the day Jameson came running in the house. He said, you'll never believe that. The music truck has ice cream. (laughs) He goes on, he says, fairy tales make rivers run with wine only to make us remember that for one wild moment, we used to wonder that they ran with water. This idea of cherishing, of noticing, of seeing, of cataloging, of being in the moment, of seeing that that erotic love, eros, is one of the ways that the Bible describes love. Phileo is that sister love, that friendship love, that intimacy of knowing and being known. When over the course of a lifetime you take the risk of knowing and being known, it provides the fuel for the passion. It provides the wood to burn the fire. And within the context of commitment, there can be that greater sense of risk-taking and to plumb the greater depths that is a person. Do you understand yourself? Of course you don't. You sit down and you say, are you an introvert? Are you an extrovert? Are you, are you uh, 
uh, on the disc? Are you somebody who goes for it? Are you somebody who enjoys people? Are you somebody who likes it? I mean, we, we, we can take a hundred different personality tests and all of us have the same reaction. I don't want to be limited to that. You cannot get to the bottom of, your, of, of yourself. You can't get to the depths of the well of you. And so you're never going to get to the depth of the well of even one person. But God puts perhaps one person in your life or one person at a time in your life to be able to cherish the intimacy of that, to be able to be committed and to allow passion to flourish so that we can see, at least in that context, how important it is to cultivate and to guide passion. You say, Tim, well, how about every day? How do we, how do we then just give me some, something to hold on to this week for, uh, for cultivating passion? Let me give you just five quick ways that you can cultivate passion in your life, in your everyday life. Stop and smell the roses. I just made that one up. I, that one just came to me. I, that wasn't even planned. Stop and smell the roses. Just stop and smell the roses, all right? Just stop and, I mean, stop and savor that moment. That's one. Two, get in somebody else's moment and stay there. You know, I, have you noticed how quickly we, we turn the conversation? Somebody shares something and then it, it triggers something. It's like, squirrel, you know, and... And, and instead of just staying in their moment, we like share what we were thinking about that was an associate. Stay in their moment and try to see through their eyes. Notice things. This summer, we, uh, we picked up fly tying again. I used to tie flies. And, and just the, the thing that I loved about it, that I remembered loving about it, was being able to just look at different parts of, like a, like a, of a feather and just to see, to notice the design, just as, as uh, Francis Collins was saying. Write a note to somebody. This will shock people, right? Because we don't write notes anymore. We send emails or texts or Snapchat or whatever. Sit down and write a note and come up with the right words. And if you mess up and you mess up and you mess up, throw it away, throw it away, throw it away until you get it right and write what you want to say. Thank you or I just appreciate you or I noticed you in the right words. Take the time to form the right words. And finally, take the risk. Reveal something about yourself. Know and be known. Cultivate passion. Let's pray together. Gracious God, our Heavenly Father, how we thank you for the ways that you reveal yourself to us through your word and potentially moment to moment. Would you give us courage this week? Would you give us insight this week? Would you help us to take just one small step to rekindle the fire of passion that we may see your wonders?